uh, last, we began last Sunday with continuing, really looking at what is what is relationship, and and I wanted to show the clip that I showed last Sunday. There were there were many uh, that couldn't be here last Sunday, and I just really like this clip because I think it really hits hits home and asks the question: Is this church your home? So let's watch this. When you hear the word home, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? Do you think walls? Do you think doors? Do you think carpeting, chairs, a roof? Do you think condo, pool in the backyard, that kind of stuff? Or maybe when you heard the word home, you thought of things like family. You thought of your wife, your husband, your kids. You thought of your mom and dad, the talks you had around the kitchen table. You thought of the meals and the conversation and the laughs. You thought of the tears and the hard days, as well as the good. You thought of the people, not the stuff. You thought of the love, not the walls. You thought of the dreams and support, not the bricks. That's really what home means to us, isn't it? It's not about some structure. It's about the people. It's about the family. It's about love. So hey, question time. Think about your church. Is this church your home? Is this church to you just bricks and walls and chairs and songs and sermons? Or is it your home? Is this the place where you come every week like you would a grocery store, like the bank or the library, or any other place that's part of the errand list? Or is this church your home? For you, it's the place you come to worship Jesus Christ with others. For you, it's the place you're challenged to grow in the Lord. It's the place where you belong to a community of believers who know your name and who care for you. It's the place where you roll up your sleeves and do your part. It's the place you sacrifice and serve in to build up. It's the place you pour out love. It's your family. It's your home. Is this church your home? It's a powerful question. And, and that word home can, can really stir up a, a variety of, of feelings, emotions, experiences, right? Uh, in the family sense, depending on your home upbringing, it could be very positive, very warm, very endearing, very, very like, yeah, oh man, I just had a great home life. Others, it's been very challenging. It's been very challenging. And then you bring that into, into the church, and some of us have, have had very wonderful church home experiences. And others, kind of challenging church home experiences. And, and I recognize that, I understand that, and, and we do. And that's why what we do is we focus on, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Because when you hear home and you get triggered emotionally, it's real easy to, to kind of just go with your feelings and go with, you know, I want to embrace this or I'm going to do this, right? I, I, I'm drawn to that or I'm already defensive, right? And, and, and in our Christian life, we have to be very careful about being feelings-driven because we're to walk by faith, not by sight. And that's why we're looking at Scripture. And what does the Scripture say about the nature of this relationship we have with God? Right? It's often said that, that oh, Christianity isn't a religion. It's a... How many of you heard that? It's not a religion. It's a relationship. So last Sunday... Uh, we're going to do a bit of review just to bring everyone up to speed. Last Sunday, we said, okay, if Christianity is not a religion but a relationship, okay, so describe this relationship then. What kind of relationship do you have? And why does that matter? Because words matter and your beliefs matter. And so if you believe something about your personal relationship with Jesus that doesn't necessarily line up with Scripture, it's going to affect how you think. It's going to affect your emotions. It's going to affect... Your actions, ultimately, right? And so, if you have a certain belief about the church and what it means to belong to a church, it's going to lead to certain thoughts, emotions, and ultimately, actions. You're either going to embrace it or you're going to, you know, be a little standoffish, maybe. And last week, I put up a list, and I just want—I made a few tweets. Just some of these are positive. Some of these might be a little bit, for me, a bit of a gut check. How would you describe? Your personal relationship with Jesus. And I put I put these up there. Some would say it's committed, consistent. Others, eh, it's casual, 
It's convenient. Yeah, you feel like going? Cultural. Well, I kind of just grew up in the church. It's just always what I've done. Right? I added this one. Cruise control. I said that prayer. Got my ticket to heaven. I'm just on cruise control. And now the crazy thing is, I don't even have to steer. This technology I got, I don't even, it drives itself. Some of us, our personal relationship, you haven't got a relationship, but you're really kind of in cruise control. You set it, destination heaven, got my ticket, and okay. Right? Crisis driven. For some, our relationship with Jesus might just be when there's a big need. Our prayer life goes up, our church attendance go up, we go to small groups, because we're sort of crisis driven, right? This one concerned primarily about me. Last week we talked about how our Christianity in this country has really, in many ways, become this individualistic, privatized, self-centered thing. I hope worship is good for me. I hope I like the sermon. I hope I get something out of it. I used to say that. I used to go to church saying, boy, I hope that worship's good. Boy, I hope I, I get something. Right? I used to be encouraged to go to men's groups. You know why I didn't go to men's groups sometimes? Because I didn't think I was going to get anything out of it. Had nothing to do with me maybe giving to the other guys and loving them and, and serving them and being there for them. I chose not to go to men's group because, ah, I ain't going to get nothing out of that. I know what they're studying. Ah, not for me, Right? That's not for me, right? Contractual, some of us are still looking at our relationship with, with God sort of as contractual, a bunch of obligations, a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? Good Christians do this, bad Christians, you know, good Christians don't do this. It's all contractual. We still kind of look at it that way. And then finally, finally at the end, we get to covenant. Covenant. You don't have to raise your hands how many, when I said to you, describe your relationship with Jesus, your personal relationship with Jesus, how many of us went, covenant? <laughs> right? Mm, not many. And it, it, it's important, and it matters that we are able to articulate, not just say it's a covenant, but to articulate, to understand what it means. And, and as we're going through this last Sunday, as we continue today and into the next... My prayer is that as you understand your covenant relationship with the Lord, that your eyes just go boom. And it radically deepens your relationship, not just with Jesus, but with each other. Because <laughs> here's the thing is, the church is made up of people in covenant. Right? The church is made up of people who are in covenant with the Lord, specifically under the new covenant. Contractually, you know, we're, we're a contract society. So last week we looked at the difference between contract and, and covenant, kind of in the things that come in our head or our, our attitude. A contract focuses on the growth of self. A covenant focuses on the giving of self. A contract asks, what am I getting from this? A covenant asks, what am I bringing to this? A contract is a have-to commitment. A covenant is a want-to commitment. A contract is predicated on results. A covenant is predicated on relationships. Larry Richards says, The notion of a covenant is unfamiliar today, but the concept of covenant is utterly basic to our understanding of Scripture. In Old Testament times, this complex concept was the foundation of social order and social relations. And it was particularly the foundation for an understanding of humanity's relationship with God. In biblical times, and even before the Bible was written, covenant, everyone understood covenant. It was just par for the course in social interactions. Right? We're kind of like, it's kind of fallen out, maybe it's one of those churchy words, covenant, covenant. What is covenant? It's just a relationship. Back then, no. Covenant was a powerful part, foundation, core of the social social structure, social interaction, right? Last week we saw some key words, right? Covenant is God's relational act. It's about relationship, it's permanent, it's binding, it's unilateral, and it's serious. 
The covenant concept is a central unifying theme in Scripture, establishing and defining God's relationship with people in all ages. Last week I showed you this slide in the Old, in the, uh, Old Testament all the way to the New. This is understanding. If you're reading through the Bible, God is a covenant God. There was a fall, right? Garden. And then throughout the Old Testament, you see him making covenants. All the way to Jeremiah, where there's a new covenant prophecy. And then the new covenant we read a lot about in Hebrews 8, fulfilled in Jesus. God is a relationship God. And he, throughout the Old Testament, is making covenant after covenant after covenant. Why? Because he wants relationship with who? Us. Now make it singular. He wants relationship with? He does. He's a covenant God. Covenant is about relationship. The whole purpose of covenant is he desires a relationship with you. A covenant relationship with you, right? In Hebrews 8, the new covenant is, uh, is spoken. It says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Relationship. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He's speaking about what's going to happen in the new covenant. Some radical things happen. He changes your heart. He gives you a desire, a want to walk in his ways. Right? Complete forgiveness. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the blood just covered the sin. In the New Covenant, Jesus' blood allows complete forgiveness. Right? And it's relationship. It's a once and for all relationship. We saw that it's permanent, binding, and unilateral. The word covenant is a solemn, binding arrangement between two parties and entails a variety of responsibilities, benefits, and penalties depending on the specific covenant. It's often ratified with blood. In the New Testament, the word is diatheke. It's a relationship of a greater person or a party to a lesser person or party, right? It's initiated by God. God sets the terms. We can either accept it or reject it. We receive the blessings from the covenant. So basically what happens in the New Testament, when you and I enter into covenant, it's a specific covenant. It's called diatheke. Greater to the lesser. A conquering to king to a conquered, right? The greater party sets the terms of the covenant. Here's the terms. Boom, 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 boom. Lesser party either accepts it or rejects it. No negotiation. In a diatheke covenant... When the lesser accepts it, they receive all the benefits. Come your way. In the new covenant, it's a diatheke. God sets the terms of the good news. The good news, the gospel, is a diatheke covenant. Right? For God so loved the world, right, that he he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should what? Not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's diatheke. That's God setting the terms of the good news. We either accept it or reject it. There's no negotiation. Crazy thing is, when we accept it, who receives all the blessings? We do. That's the crazy thing. That's the new covenant crazy thing. Many of us, the other word for covenant is not up there, is called soon-thinking. A soon-thinking covenant is... A soon-thinking covenant is a covenant, a treaty, an alliance, agreement between equals. So if we're going to negotiate a treaty, a contract, we're going to bargain, we're going to go back and forth, and we're going to treat each other like equals. That's soon they eat. Right? That's how many of us might think of these. Okay, thank you. Diabiki is greater to lesser. For some of us, the challenge in our walk is that maybe we start diabiki, but then as we walk with Jesus, we want to turn it into soon they Anyone here ever try to bargain with God? Can we negotiate that? I like this, 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 that forgive, forgive thing. Let's just negotiate. Right? So some of us, we're kind of maybe stuck in our walk right now because you kind of slid to soon thank 
because you're struggling with this area and you don't want to quite give it up. And you're like, really? And all he says is, diabetes. Oh, come on. Come on, diabetes, right? We started in diabetes. We walk in diabetes. What does Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? He's just, he's just reminding, hey, it's diabetes. It's diabetes. And who gets all the blessings of obedience? We do. We do, right? So, Susanna, it's diabetes. Quote says, a covenant is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. No such thing as bargaining, bartering, or contracting characterizes the divine covenants of Scripture. The sovereign Lord of heaven and earth dictates the terms of his covenant. And then we saw that this is serious. A covenant is serious. Turn to Genesis, Genesis 15. We looked at this last week and said we would come back to it because of time. Genesis 15, covenant between God and Abraham, right? Covenant between God and Abraham, Genesis 15. So we're going to read pretty much almost the whole past, the old chapter, Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. There's a promise. God's saying, Hey, I'm going to provide. You're going to, I'm going to provide your heir. It's going to be as many as the stars. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Verse 8, very important. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know? That I will gain possession of it. Right? Some of us, our challenge with our walk with the Lord is maybe doubt creeps in. Maybe doubt creeps in. We love the Lord. We're doing our best. But he's calling you. He's calling me to do something. And we're just not sure. How can I know, Lord? How can I know? Right? And then once doubt creeps in and fears and anxieties and worries and what ifs and worst case scenarios, and if we've traced it back, it's really because we're just not sure that we can know. That we can know, right? And so look what he says in verse 9. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached his full measure. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Right? Key verse in this whole chapter is verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That word covenant, when it says that phrase, made a covenant, right? It actually means to cut covenant. To cut. So in the Old Testament, when you see someone made a covenant, covenants really weren't made, they were cut. They were cut. And you see what God instructed Abram to do. He brought animals, and Abram cut them in half. And they split and when covenants were cut in the Old Testament, they would get animals, they would cut them in half, and they would split them, kind of like this. 
the two people making the covenant would stand in the middle and we would recite our obligations, our commitments. There would be a, a ceremony. And then we would walk in a figure eight through this mess of blood. Right? Figure eight, no beginning, no end. Right? And what we were saying to each other is, hey, Jordan, if, if, if I don't fulfill this covenant, may it be to me like this animal. And you're saying to me, hey, if Richie, if I don't fulfill, yeah, yeah, right? It's serious. May it be to me, right? Thank you. It's serious business. And I shared last Sunday, when I perform ceremonies, I bring up the walk of death. And I ask the bride and the groom, well, are you prepared for the seriousness of this? Because in a ceremony, a wedding ceremony, you're going to see today and next week, cutting covenant, making covenant, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I did not realize why they do that in weddings. Now I know. <laughs> two halves, two people making vows in front of witnesses. It's serious. It's called the walk of death. That's how serious God takes covenant. So here's the crazy thing about this. What did Abram ask in verse 8? How will I know? You make this great promise, God. You make this great promise, this supernatural promise, this promise that seems impossible. How am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to just rest in that promise, right? Great question for us. How am I supposed to rest? Where was Abram when God walked through the animal? What was Abram doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Who walked through the walk of death? Symbolically, God did. God walked the walk of death to show Abram how serious he was and that this was this was a done deal. Hebrews six thirteen says, "When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for Him to swear by, what happened? He swore by Himself." How do I know God? Well, you go to sleep, and I'm going to walk the walk of death. Can you imagine when Abraham woke up? What happened? Well, you're not going to believe this. God walked the walk of death. What? Yeah. God did. Pointing to the new covenant when Jesus did. When Jesus did. How serious is this? In Jeremiah 34, 18, some guys did this, and they didn't fulfill it. The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between these pieces. In Jeremiah 34, someone had made a covenant. They had done the walk of death, and they failed. They did not uphold their end. And God says, I'm giving you to your enemies. I'm serious. Serious covenant is to God. That's how serious, in one sense, seriously awesome it is for you and me under the new covenant, right? So last week there were some key words. I can put those up. Was that relationship, permanent, binding, unilateral, serious? This week, here's some key words as we move forward. We're going to move forward. Exchange, union, oneness, identification. If you understand these words and layer them on top of what you did last Sunday. My prayer is that you're just going to have a, a wow moment with God. And your relationship is just going to go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Right? So turn to 1 Samuel 18. You're going to go write several books in your Old Testament. 1 Samuel 18. And we're going to look at a covenant between two guys. Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. 1 Samuel 18. So we're going to see that they make the covenant, they cut covenant, but then there's a ceremony. There's some ceremonial things that happen symbolically as they make the covenant as well. So 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. 
and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant. All right, remember, it means when you see that phrase, it means cut covenant. And Jonathan cut covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Right? It's interesting. In uh, 1 Samuel 20, verse 13a, right? Says, Jonathan says, But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. This is Jonathan saying, Hey, you know what? If my dad wants to harm you, David, and I don't let you know and get you out of here as part of my covenant to you, he says, May the Lord deal with me. He understood cutting covenant, right? So if we go back to verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him, right? Cut covenant, and then verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt, right? There was an exchange. We're going to look at the importance of that exchange for unity and oneness. Before we do that, I need to address something because if you do any Bible study and you're out there in, in the culture, some people have, have chosen to distort and really twist this relationship between Jonathan and David, and I just we just got we just got to nip that in the bud, right? So it says in um, verse one, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. That 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 idea of Jonathan loving David, just people have chosen to to really distort that and twist that into something that is completely not biblical, right? And let me just let me just answer that. Uh, the the word for love there is a specific word. It's pronounced eheva, and it speaks of God's love for His children and our love for others. I'll give you some verses. Genesis 22, 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah. Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So when Jonathan and David love each other, it is a very specific love. It's God's love for his children. It's God's call for us to love one another. Eheva. There's a different word in the Old Testament for love called yada. Yada is to know someone, to love someone, even in a sexual sense, in an intimate sense, romantic sense. Yada is never used to describe Jonathan and David. Okay? So there's your biblical answer for those that want to twist this into something that it doesn't need to be and isn't in line with Scripture. All right? There's a very specific verse, and I just, you know, just when I see stuff like that, it just bothers me. You just kind of just search the scriptures. It's all right there, right? So it's a specific word for love, right? How many of you honestly say you love someone in this room, right? With God's love, it doesn't mean like you're in love with them, right? I can say, hey Scott, I love you, bro. It means I want God's best for him. It means I love him with the love that Jesus has. Jesus says, "Love one another as I have loved you." It's nothing weird about that. It's nothing. Weird. Okay, so we just I just. Really wanted to address that. So, cutting covenant, right? And then there's an exchange. And we're going to look at this exchange. Verse 4, we're going to kind of work backwards. His belt. When people cut covenant, they would often exchange belts. These were belts that were large. They carried their military gear on it, right? When they exchanged belts, it was symbolic of exchanging strength and assets. Sharing weaknesses and strengths. When I exchange belts with you, Jordan... When you're weak, I'll be strong. When I'm weak, you'll be, you be strong. We're sharing strength and weaknesses. Right, bro? Right? Right? Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Right? Then in verse 4, they, he, they exchange. Jonathan gives him his sword and his bow. Right? His weapons. You know what that's symbolic of? Commitment to protect. Jordan, your enemies are now my enemies. And my enemies are now your enemies. We're in this together. 
We are committed to protect one another. We're one. Not only do we share strengths and assets, now we're sharing enemies. <laughs> we're sharing a commitment to protect. We're one, right? Ecclesiastes 4, 12a. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then, it says, he gave him his robe and tunic. When he gave him his robe and tunic, David was symbolically putting on Jonathan. He's putting him on. Right? He was putting him on. It's an exchange of identity. Here's, here's the thing. I, Jordan, I have put you on, and when you exchange robes, now you put me on. We're exchanging identity. Two have become one. And here's the crazy thing. If Jordan and I were to exchange robes, we're going to go this whole exchange, you know what that means, Jordan? It's the end of independent living, buddy. <laughs> Willingly you are surrendering independent living because now we're, we're in this together for good. So this whole exchange of the belt, of weapons, of robe, <coughs> is union, oneness, identifying with each other, right? And we think about that. We think about that now in terms of the new covenant. Okay, so how does that apply to us in 2018? What does that mean? Okay, I understand the power and the significance, and everyone in that culture would understand it. But help me to bring that, fast forward that to 2018, right? Well, here, here's the crazy thing. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, All of us have become like one who was unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Right? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if God is holy, 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 if God in, in heaven cannot allow anything unrighteous in his sight, in his presence, we, we're kind of stuck. We have a problem, right? Because Bill kind of already, Because Isaiah 64 says all the good stuff, all, all our righteousness. <clears throat> Filthy rags. <laughs> and if you stop and ponder that in light of eternity, you gotta go, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's some bad news. Because the best that I can offer God apart from Jesus, according to Isaiah 64, is his filthy rags. My robe is filthy. There's some bad news. There's a problem. Right? But here's the crazy thing you stay there, Billy. <laughs> Galatians 3, 26 and 28 says this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus, that's through faith, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the whole point of the new covenant. There's a problem. God's desiring relationship. I want relationship. I want relationship. Here's the new covenant. Well, how does it work then? How does this new covenant, how does this gospel work? Sometimes it be like, is it just saying a prayer? Is it a magic prayer? Is it superstition? What happens? Tell me, explain this to me. Right? Well, here's what happens. Come on, here we go. Here's what happens is, is sometimes we think, well... Okay, someone says I, I get to heaven if I say a prayer and believe in Jesus. Okay, I do that. So sometimes what we think is, okay, so my sins are forgiven. And sometimes we think all that means is that my filthy robe was taken off and now I'm neutral. Now I'm clean, right? Isn't that the gospel that he just took, took this off me? No. No. Not according to those verses. Here's what really happens in the new covenant. He says, hey, the good news is, come to Jesus, come to the cross. And when you come to the cross, here's, here's the absolutely incredible supernatural thing. You come just as you are, with your filthy rags. And the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. 
Put your faith in Jesus. You rest in his finished work. What he did. And here's what happens in the new covenant. Here's where it's so incredibly just mind-blowing. There's an exchange. There's an exchange that happens at the cross. And here's the crazy exchange. Jesus. He who had no sin was made sin. And he gives us his will. And positionally, that's who you are under the new covenant in Christ. You didn't just get your robe taken off and now you're just where you were. You're not zero. No. You got it taken off and then you got all of Jesus' righteousness put on you. That's a new covenant. And you're like, maybe some of you are like, how do I know? says, hey, it's all by faith. Here's the terms. Here's the terms. Faith. Believe in Jesus. And here's the exchange. Here's the exchange. Thank you. You can keep that on if you want. <laughs> here's the, so positionally, Name written in the book of life. Amen? Come on. That's new covenant stuff right there. That's got to get you lit every morning. That's how God sees you. How many of you keep a record of how often you blew it this morning? Before you got here. Some of you blew it. And you're like, oh, God must be mad at me. I can go to church. God's mad at me already. Positionally, he sees Jesus robe on you. Right now. Positionally, He is pleased with you. 100% positionally, He is pleased with you. Amen? Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, He likes you. He likes you. Positionally, we're good to go. Amen? Positionally. Now, practice? It's called sanctification. Practice? Mm. How many of you got that uh, area? Or more? Good, good, good. Uh. Right? Positionally, you're good. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. You're positionally fine. Now he says, work out your salvation. Not work for, work it out. Just every day, until you go home to be with Jesus, it's a workout. Right? Pastor Michael said a couple weeks ago, keep swinging. Keep swinging. Do you realize in baseball, someone considered really good hits like 300? That means they get out 7 out of 10 times. They get on base 3 out of 10 times and we're like, woohoo! Awesome! Positionally, we're in God's Hall of Fame. Keep swinging. Just keep swinging in freedom of who you are in Christ. And he does tell us, right? Look at Romans 13, 12. He says this. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new self. So positionally... Positionally, Bill, positionally, we're in Christ is good. And then he says, now, every day, choose to put on Jesus. Choose to put on Jesus. Let people see you at work, at home, at school, at the mall, wherever. Let them see whose robe you're wearing. Just let them see that robe. That's what that's our choice. That's that's our calling. Just Walk clothed with Jesus in the power of the Spirit. 
That's what we do. That's what we do. That's our calling, right? That's what it means to be in covenant. That's what it means to walk in covenant. Under the new covenant, positionally I'm good. Now every day I get up and I clothe myself with Jesus. And I just want people to see Jesus. I just want to live in accordance with the robe that I'm wearing. That's what it is to walk in covenant. Right? Fred Lowry says, God is a relational being. He is our Heavenly Father. And to be a father involves connection. It implies relationship. God was connected to us by creation, separated from us by sin, and reconnected to us by redemption through the death of Jesus on the cross. His covenant with us through Christ is the ultimate relationship. Right? Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ in the church. You know what he's saying? Hey, you know this covenant that, that we celebrate when we perform weddings and we kind of still use the word covenant between a husband and wife? You know that covenant relationship? It was really supposed to be a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church. My marriage, your marriage is supposed to be on this, a display of this covenant love that Jesus has for his church. That's the connection. That's the connection, right? It's unity. It's oneness, right? It's willingly giving up independent living, right? Sometimes when I do weddings, how many of you ever seen a unity candle, right? There's a unity candle, right? And at a certain point, you know, the bride and the groom, they want to do the unity candle. Come on up, bride and groom. <laughs> how many years? Scott, how many years? Okay, 45, good, good answer, good answer. Right? So at a certain point of the ceremony, there's a thing we call the unity candle. And initially, two separate candles representing two separate lives, two separate families, right? And then at a certain point, they'll light the unity candle in the middle. Go ahead and they'll light the unity candle. Now, sometimes couples choose to blow out the side candles, meaning that, you know, we're now one. Some leave it on because they're, they're one, but they're still unique individuals. Thank you. Right? That's a picture of us. It's the church with Jesus. That's a picture of you and me being one and united. And it's something that we do willingly, joyfully. I give up my independent living. Scott, did you do that joyfully? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <literally. laughs> Willingly, joyfully, I give up independent living for the sake of the better relationship. That's the new covenant. We're united. We're one. We're identified with Jesus. That's what he wants. That's the new covenant. We're clothed in his righteousness, and we walk every day in that robe, just desiring people to see who I represent on this planet. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We're just ambassadors of reconciliation, right? And then out of that covenant relationship this way, we go this way. Right? I right, let's go to John 13, 34. Look what Jesus says. This is Jesus talking to the church. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. What was new about this command? That it was based on Jesus' love. The newness of that command was as I have loved you. Covenant love. Imagine what would happen in this church and in every church in this planet if the church committed to love one another as Jesus loves us. How many of you think that would be an incredible testimony? We start here. Jesus says, hey, 
Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. You want to make an impact in this valley? You want to make an impact around the world? Okay, start by loving one another as I have loved you in covenant. Pretty big demonstration of love. God demonstrates his love while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, right? And when we understand that as the foundation, his love for me being poured out this way, then all the one another's make sense. Forgive one another as I forgave you. Bear with one another, right? All the one another's fall into line under loving each other as he loved us. It's all under there. That's why here, when you say, yeah, you know, we believe God's calling us to this, make this our church home, and we have been privileged over the last several weeks to meet with, with couples and families who have said, you know, we believe that God's calling us to make this our church home. It's relationship. We get together, we talk, and we say, well, share your story. What's God doing in your life? What brought you here? We're here to just come alongside you and love you, help you walk clothed in Jesus. It's all relationship here. That's the heart of it. So that's why, if you're wondering, that's why you won't hear membership here. We use the word covenant. Because my relationship with Jordan, and my relationship with Scott, and my relationship with Susan, and my relationship with Bill, it's not because we're members and have gone to a membership class. No, it's because we're in covenant with Jesus. And we've heard God's call to be here. And land here and use our gifts and talents and pour into this local body. All out of covenant love. Amen? Amen. That's, that's what we do here. That's what we do here. And before we take communion, there's a beautiful song, right? My hope is built. Right? And, and there's some, some, some lines in this song that, that I just want to share with you. Listen to the covenant. Listen to the teaching on covenant. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Verse 3. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When around around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. And finally, when He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When we take communion, the cup, sometimes we bypass the cup and we go, well, that's the blood and the bread. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So when you're holding this cup this morning, it's symbolic of the new covenant. Ratified by his blood. How do you know it's legit? How do you know you can bank on it? Because that's symbolic of his blood that was cut for you. That's the power of taking communion. You come forward, not only do you remember, but you reaffirm. Yeah, I reaffirm. That's why we do this every week. It's just an opportunity for you to get up and publicly reaffirm your faith in Jesus and the new covenant. So he says, this is the bread, this is my body. I am the bread of life. The cup is the new covenant ratified in my blood. And the crazy thing is, by faith, you're clothed in his righteousness. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you that we're reminded today that the new covenant is about union, oneness, Unity. Thank you that there was an exchange at the cross. That when we put our faith in Jesus, our filthy rags are exchanged for the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and, and you've never had that exchange, maybe this morning you understand. Oh, I get it. It's more than just a more than just a prayer. It's, it's more than just a, a religious thing I do. There's a, there's, a re, there's a relationship here and there's an exchange and now I finally understand. I finally get what it means to be in Christ. I finally get it why God loves me like he does because it's about Jesus' robe of righteousness on me. 
So if that's you and you're, and, and you're there, put your faith in Jesus. The best way you know how. Just trust him. Trust him for his finished work. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for cutting covenant. Thank you for shedding your blood. And in the best way I know how this morning, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm resting in your finished work. It's by grace that I'm saved, not by works. Jesus, I want that exchange. So I give you my filthy rag. And I humbly accept your robe of righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe uh, you're a believer this morning and you've been just burdened by guilt and shame. Maybe you're, maybe you're frustrated with your walk. And maybe this morning you just need to be reminded, no, you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Just confess your sins. Come clean. Ask God's forgiveness. And get back up and keep swinging. Just get back up and keep swinging. Because your name is written in the book of life. And he loves you dearly. So Lord, we come to the communion table. Remembering you, Jesus. You are the bread of life. Reminded that you say the new covenant. The cup is the new covenant in your blood. So we celebrate a relationship with you. We celebrate a new heart. We celebrate complete forgiveness. And we reaffirm our faith in you, Jesus, as Savior. Before we, before we sing and are dismissed, I uh, just wanted to make you aware that, that you know we are praying for you. And we do take very seriously the call to shepherd the flock of God that, that is entrusted to us and and uh, outside there at the card and in the commons uh, there's a sheet that says welcome to the well and if you're at the place uh, with us that you're like you know I believe God's calling us here and, and I just like to talk to you guys and, and maybe ask questions and just get to know you share my story with you if you if you sign up there we'll, we'll, we'll connect with you either myself or one of the elders and and just chat, just chat over coffee, lunch. You can come here. Uh, it's not a hard sell. And um, if you're still kind of seeking the Lord and, and you're not there, 100% okay. Just keep coming. Just keep coming because we want you where God wants you. Amen. That, 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 that's really where it is. So, so you can sign up back there. We'll, we'll get together. We'll set it up, and, and we'll just get to know one another in covenant.